This morning I was trying to wake Wendy up, and she says, leave me alone. It's a sleeping day. It's Monday. I said, it's not Monday. I got some bad news for you. (laughs) It's the big day. So happy Memorial Day. I want to uh, show you a video just to honor uh, people who've given their lives uh, for our freedom. Let's take a look. pray with me father i just uh i thank you um and ask for i just ask for those who have loss who have a gap who have an empty seat at family gatherings um people who've given their lives for our country i just pray that you'll stand in that gap that you'll bring comfort to their loss and um that this weekend we can we can just press pause on all the activities and festivities, and remember, remember those who gave their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in Mark still. Remember, the original plan was to be finished by Easter, and here we are. But uh, for those of you who are wondering, we just have two more weeks. And then on Father's Day, I'm going to kick off a series called Making Great Choices. How many of you have made some bad choices? And we'll admit it. And sometimes we get it right. So we're going to look at at, at what God has to say about making great choices and and try to do better, you know, from here on. I know we won't be perfect. But today, um, Mark chapter 12, and I've had a lot of time to think about this because I've been off for for two Sundays. Um, There's kind of a theme that gets weaved in, and, and, and Jeff did a great job introducing it last week. And, and it's these questions that people come 
and, and ask Jesus these questions, but usually it's to trap him. And um, there's that. It's a trap, right? That was great. Jeff did that last week. I thought it was so good I'd bring it back for you, Star Wars, Star Wars fans. But have you ever been questioned or interrogated, uh, maybe by the police or, you know, your mom? Uh, when, I was a, when I was a senior in high school and I would miss curfew, my mom would be sitting there in a rocking chair asleep between, I mean, right when you walk in the door. And it was pretty hard to get around her without waking her up. And, the, and then the interrogation would begin. Where were you? Who were you with? What were you doing? You know, we've all been in those, those places where we're getting questioned and interrogated. Maybe it was in a job interview. Um, how about polygraph? Anybody been polygraphed? Just me? Oh, Zach's dad. Anybody else? I, I, Wendy and I were, one sheepish hand back there. Wendy and I were, um, inter- we were polygraphed at, at a, at a uh, job in college because someone was stealing money. It wasn't Wendy. <laughs> and it wasn't me. But they got this guy who was in the, he was an FBI polygrapher, retired. And he was scary. Like he was intimidating. And he hooked us all up. And I mean, you don't know, they could ask you anything, you know. And um, turns out the manager was the one stealing, a guy named Chuck. And they weren't even going to polygraph him, but no one else you know, came up lying, so it had to be Chuck, and it was. They ended up hooking him up. But um, this guy told us, this FBI guy, he said, Wendy was the cleanest person he had ever polygraphed <laughs> in like, like 40 years or something. I mean, I'm like, yeah, welcome to my world. <laughs> so today we see this theme kind of being uh, weaved in of people questioning Jesus, but it's not to ask him a question. I think it's incredibly sad. It's not to ask him a question. It's to trap him. If you could ask the creator of the universe one question, wouldn't that be so incredible? Like, what would you ask them? I I would ask, like, the cure for cancer, you know? Maybe he answers, maybe he doesn't. You get one question. Creator of the universe. It's like they're wasting they're wasting questions because they don't really understand who he is. Uh, you know, maybe you'd ask him a silly question like, could you create a rock so big that you couldn't move it? You know, one of those kind of questions. Or, uh, God, what, what makes you laugh? You know, what makes you laugh? What, or what's the most interesting thing you've ever created? You get one question. And I think it's sad that these guys, face to face with the creator, kind of waste their questions. Before we get to the question parts, though, there's another parable. And remember, a parable is an earthly story with spiritual implications. Jesus would look around at things that they normally did, common things, and he'd tell a story about these things, and they'd have deep spiritual implications. So let's dive right in. Mark chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him. They beat him. They sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another 
And that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat. Others they killed. He had one left to send. His son. Whom he loved. He sent him last of all saying, They'll respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. And then Jesus asked the question, What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will kill. He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read the passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So Jesus quotes Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. I don't have time to read all of it, but I want to read just um, 6 and 7, just in case there's any confusion. He says, I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah and the vines he delighted in. He looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteous but heard cries of distress. Verse 12, Then the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left and went away. This is a parable, a story about broken promises. Israel had a covenant relationship with God. A covenant relationship was like a contract based on a promise, and Israel did not keep their end of the promise. They broke the promise. It makes me wonder, it makes me ask myself, how am I doing in the promise department? How are you doing in the promise department? Do you keep promises? What lengths will you go to to keep a promise? Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He says, it's better just to not make a promise than to break a promise. How many of you right now can think of a promise keeper? Someone that you know, if they tell you something, you can take it to the bank. Show of hands. How many of you can think of a promise breaker? If they're sitting next to you, don't look at them. Um, And they say something, you think, well, 50-50 chance. You know, I'll believe it. I'll believe it when I see it. They may do it. They may not. I think that when we don't keep our promises, we lose our influence for the kingdom. We lose our influence with people. We lose our ability to speak into their lives. It can seem like a little thing, but it's, but it's a huge thing. My dad used to tell a story, I think it's the saddest story I ever heard, when he was a little boy. His parents were divorced, and on Saturdays was his day to spend time with his mom, and she was supposed to pick him up at this street corner, and he'd stand out there for hours on Saturday, and she'd never show up. She'd say, I'll be there, and then she'd never show up. I mean, that's like the saddest story I've ever heard. I think we need to be really careful when we make promises to kids, and we don't keep those promises to kids. The, stop, the, the small stuff matters, too. Being on time is kind of like a promise. If you say you're going to be someplace, be there as, as much as you can. So I see six characters in this parable of the vineyard. I see God. If you're taking notes today, I see God, the landowner. What does the landowner do? Well, he provides life. He provides protection. Uh, he built a wall. He built a watchtower. 
He built a wine press. He makes this investment. You can see this picture here. I took this in Mexico a couple weeks ago because I knew I was going to be talking about this, and that kind of looked like a little watchtower to me on the beach. Um, protection, provision. And then you have Israel, and they're the vineyard, they're the beneficiaries of, of this covenant relationship, the beneficiaries of, of God's goodness and God's provision. And then I, I, I think the tenants are like the religious leaders of the day. And they're not doing a very good job, are they? Jesus keeps calling them out. They've, they've been entrusted with responsibility, and, and they're not doing a good job. And then the servants are the prophets, like Elijah and Elisha and John the Baptist. Uh, I think there's 48 like guy prophets in the Bible and seven prophetesses. Um, and a lot of these guys, you know, they were beaten and rejected and mocked and killed when they came and represented God. And then there's the other tenants. And if you're a Gentile, if you're a non-Jewish person, this is good for you. The other tenants. It says, what then will the owner of the vineyard do in verse 9? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And so in this parable, Jesus is saying, I'm opening this thing up. This kingdom that I'm ushering in, it's now for all people. I'm opening it up to everyone, not just to Israel. Israel had it, but they blew it. And God's going to relate to his people now in a different way. He's going to relate through grace rather than the law. We tried the law, didn't work out so well. Now we're doing things a little bit different. Verse 13, later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. They're kind of buttering him up here, aren't they? You know, you're not swayed by others. You're a man of integrity. You pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Um, and then they ask the question, the trap question. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or should we? Shouldn't we? Trying to catch him. And Jesus knew their hypocrisy, it says. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius. Let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose image is on this? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. And we see this word amazed all the time. They're amazed at how he answers questions. They're amazed at his power to heal people. They're just amazed over and over. And once again, they're amazed to his response to this trap question. I wonder if Jesus kept the coin, you know, like your uncle who says, let's do a magic trick and then keeps the coin. I don't know. It's Jesus. I'm sure he gave the coin back. Okay, Mark chapter 12, verse 18. Then the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him with a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but also died. I'm wondering if while they're asking this question, Jesus is going, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Because, I mean, look at this question. It just cracks me up. The second one married a widow, also died, you know, children, you know, it goes on and on. Here's what's crazy about this question. The people who are asking it are the Sadducees. They don't even believe in the resurrection. 
This is a totally hypothetical question. Just designed to cause trouble, I think. But look at Jesus' reply. Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? I mean, he kind of jabs them there a little bit. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read the book of Moses? Of course they've read the book of Moses. In the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. And Jesus tells them, you're badly mistaken. And then there's a guy that kind of overhears all this going on. Um, one account calls him a lawyer, one kind of a scribe. But he hears this debating going on, and he, he's interested. And in verse 28, it says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. So he asks his question. He says, Of the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your, um, where am I at? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater uh, than these. Well said, teacher. I think that's kind of funny. I mean, if he really knew who he was talking to, he's like, well said, you got it right, the man replied. You were right in saying that God is one, and he kind of just feeds back to him what he said. And in verse 34, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, and Jesus sees something in this guy, something that's legit. It's not just a trap question. This guy's actually asking a legitimate question. And Jesus says to him, you're not far from the kingdom. You're close. You're close. He kind of gives him some credit. So, when you think about the law, you know, if we think like Ten Commandments, like which is the greatest? But the law kind of turned into a lot of nonsense, like 613 rules and regulations if you, if you read through Leviticus. And it had just gotten crazy. And there were these scribes that, that would examine each law in minute detail. And they would decide, you know, how this was to all play out in, in your normal life. And uh, here's just a few crazy examples that I came up with. Um, men, men should not shave the sides of their heads. That's in Leviticus 19. Um, oh, I like this one. You are not to eat non-kosher maggots. <laughs> now, I'm not eating any maggots. I don't care if they're kosher or non-kosher. That's in Leviticus 11. This one's kind of cool. Every seventh year, you're to release all loans. Anybody have a loan? Every seventh year. I think we'd kind of like that, unless you're the lender, right? That would be kind of a good one. That's in Deuteronomy 15 too. But I love that this guy seems to have a real question. One of my old friends that I had the opportunity to work with for a few years, a guy named Rick Knabel, this was kind of his, his life message. And um, he would say, do the two. Do the two. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Let's say that together. Love God, love people. And Jesus is saying, if you will do these two, it, it will take care of all the rest. All the nonsense, all the, which maggots can I eat, which maggots can I not eat, all of that. It, it'll just take care of all of that. So how do we love God? I was thinking about this. How do we love God? 
How do you love God? How do you respond to someone you love? Just a regular person. Well, I think we spend time with them, right? We spend time with them. We get to know them. We, we, we find out the things that they're interested in, even if we're not maybe as interested in it. I, I know Wendy has to listen to hours and hours of golf stories from me, and finally she just kind of glosses over, but she tries really hard uh, in the beginning. So you do things for people you love. Sometimes you, you kind of talk like them after a while. You study them. You get into what they're into. How about this one? You appreciate him for who he is and what he's done and what he will do in your life. For many people, loving God is, is easy, right? God's perfect. He's, he's not that hard to love. It's the second part that gets a little dicey, isn't it? The loving people part. Because people are not perfect. People are difficult. In Luke's Gospel... He follows this question up with the story of the Good Samaritan. And the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? Kind of looking for a little bit of a loophole in here. You know, I'm good with the loving God part, but that loving neighbor, give me a little more on that. You know, he feeds back exactly what Jesus said about God. But on the neighbor part, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Jay Pathak, a vineyard pastor, and Dave Runyon wrote a book called The Art of Neighboring. And in this book, they, they, they pose the question, what if your neighbor is your actual neighbor? Like the person that actually lives next door. And they encourage you in the book to, to make a map and actually, you know, show your neighbors and write their names down and put some information about them. Uh, how many of you know your neighbor's names? Pretty good. How about their kids' names? Okay. My neighbors keep moving, so I've got a little bit of an excuse, but... We try hard with this whole thing. Now, if you're going to invite your neighbors over, I encourage you to take the map down if it's on the refrigerator. Put it in a drawer because, you know, it can look like you're stalking them or something. How do we love people? It's a tall order, isn't it? Well, the examples from Jesus and the story of the Good Samaritan, which suggests that we engage people who are hard to love, not just the easy ones, but the ones we'd almost consider an enemy. We engage those people. We don't walk by them, especially if God's put them in our way, in our lives, in our family, at work, on our team, at school, next door neighbors. We engage them. We also make an investment in them. The currency that the Good Samaritan used was time, energy, and money. We make an investment in these people. Put some skin in the game, whatever that looks like. Do the two. Do the two and fulfill all 613 rules and regulations. Love God, love people. All right, let me wrap up 12. Verse 35, while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared the Lord said, to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? Verse 38, as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. Now those guys were probably just right there. You know, they could hear him. We can hear you. You know, watch out for those dudes over there. 
Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the banquets. Can I just tell you something that irritates me just a little bit? Just when, when pastors have a parking space and a sign like right up next to the church building, that just, I don't know, it just bugs me a little bit. I'm just being honest with you. If you come here early, you see our team, our staff, they park as far away as possible to leave the good places for, for you guys. So that's just a little pet peeve of mine. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. I am not a lengthy prayer guy. That is my gift to you, okay? You don't have to worry about lengthy prayers. Uh, this is tough. These men will be punished most severely. Those of us in, in ministry, paid ministry, leadership, we're going to be judged a little different. We're going to be judged a little harsher. And I am well aware of that. I take this, what we do, incredibly, incredibly serious. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And when this happened, Jesus, he got his guy's attention. He said, to the disciples, come here, guys, come here, come here. I don't know what they were doing, but they weren't paying attention. And he said, did you see that? Don't miss this. Did you see that? This lady just gave all that she had. It wasn't much, but it was all that she had. It seems all throughout Mark that Jesus is so impressed with faith. This lady had the faith to give and know that God would provide for her. She had that kind of faith. And in those days, you could see what people are giving. I mean, could you imagine if we flashed it on the screen here, what you gave, you know, as soon as you dropped it in the thing, and maybe your annual budget? We'd have a lot less people in church, I think. (laughs) But Jesus was watching. And it occurred to me when I was studying this that he's still watching, that he still sees what you do. He still sees what you give. He still sees your sacrifice. When you're serving in the kids' area and you're changing dirty diapers and and you're at the front doors and you come early on Sunday and you make coffee and you sacrifice and you give your money and your time and your energy, He still sees. Isn't that cool? When you give a cup of cold water in His name, He still sees. When you engage your neighbors, even though they're hard and they've got barking dogs, like mine, he still sees. When you're loving on them, when you're loving God and loving people, he still notices. And you can impress him in that. Living by faith. He sees it all. Let's stand. I want to pray for you. So when we were praying for you guys earlier this morning, our team, someone had a word. They felt like uh, the word was blind spot. And so I just wanted to throw that out to you. I don't know if that means anything to anyone. 
But I'm going to pray about that. Some other things. So, Father, we invite your presence here. Holy Spirit, come. You are welcome in this place to do business in our lives. I thank you that you still see, that you still notice. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.